Welcome, everybody. So glad to have you guys here at church. For those of you guys who are watching online, we're honored that you would spend this time with us. We started a series last week. The series is called Last Week. And in this series, we are focusing on the last week of Jesus' life, and we are doing what the writers of the Gospels did. They wrote a lot about Jesus' life. They went over a lot of years and a lot of experiences and events, and then when they got to the last week, they all slowed down and dedicated a huge chunk of writing to look at and observe and think about and ponder the last week of Jesus' life. So that's what we're doing in this series. We're going to slow down and we're going to work through the last week of Jesus' life to look at him and to try to understand how he portrayed himself, how he conveyed himself. What do we learn from about Jesus? What do we learn about Jesus through the events of the last week of his life? And the goal of this series, really, to make it simple, I want at the end of each message and at the end of the entire series, for people to just simply say, dang, Jesus is awesome. That's all I want. That's the only goal. I simply want to lift him up and kind of take advantage of that promise. He gave a promise that says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm praying for this series. I simply want to honor Jesus by sharing the story of his last week. Now, last week, we talked about the very first thing that happened, that very first day of that last week. It was called the triumphant entry, the triumphal entry, where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and there's this huge parade, and there's this, all this stuff going on. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to pick up right after that parade. As soon as that thing finished, we're going to talk about the next three things that happened right immediately after that moment. And I'm going to give you guys a little sneak peek of what's happening today. We're going to cover three things, and these are the things. It's going to be one sad thing, and then one scary thing, and then one weird thing. One, actually, I should have put one super weird thing is what we're going to cover. So one sad thing that happens, one kind of scary thing that happens, and then one weird, one kind of super weird thing that happens at the end. Now, these three things, I'm going to kind of tell you what they are, what, what happened actually after Jesus entered into Jerusalem and what those sad, the sad thing, the scary thing, and the weird thing are. So the sad thing is he, he, as soon as the parade is done, he gets to Jerusalem and he sees Jerusalem and then he starts crying. So that's the sad thing. And then afterwards, he enters the temple and then he rages out and starts flipping over tables and kicking everyone out and, and getting looks like he's just like super mad and super angry and he kicks everyone out of the temple. That's the scary thing because like it's weird to see Jesus like that. And then the weird thing is after that, the next morning, it's, it's recorded in scripture that Jesus woke up in the morning and he was hungry and he saw a fig tree that looked like it had lots of leaves. And so he went to the tree expecting to pick a fig. There were no figs. So he curses the tree and the tree dies. That's the super weird thing, right? That's a weird thing. So those are the three things that we're going to cover. Now, here's what's really cool. Most of us, when we look at these three stories, and if you grew up in church, you've probably heard one, two, or all of them. You've probably thought, like I did, that these are all just three separate stories. But here's what I realized. They're all connected. They're all connected by one important idea that I think Jesus is trying to 
Jesus is dealing with and struggling with, but also conveying to people that this matters so deeply to him. So I want you to use your brains and think about what could connect him weeping over Jerusalem, clearing the temple with anger and, and righteous rage, and then cursing a fig tree until it dies. There's one truth, one idea that connects them all, and it's not a, it's not a lighthearted one. And I believe that as he entered into this last week of his life, as these were recorded, he wanted his followers through every generation to struggle with this. And so at the end of this message, I'm going to reveal what that, that, that kind of connecting piece is. And it's definitely something that you're going to have to confront in your own life. So let's pray and let's get into what happened right after that parade. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share this word. I love the way you took this message and just kind of shaped it and made it what I think is truly supposed to be what you want to say today. It's challenging, God, so I pray that you prepare our hearts and minds to receive a challenging word. In your name we pray. Amen. So as soon as the parade is done, everyone's cheering and screaming and singing and laughing. Luke tells us this happened. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. And... Uh, this was a really odd moment, right? If, you, if you're not used to being around people who cry, it's always kind of weird, isn't it, to be around people who cry. Um, if you're used to it, it's, you know, it still can be a little bit uncomfortable. But this is like not just anybody. I mean, think about from the perspective of the disciples. This is not just some person. This is like their teacher, their rabbi, their master, like the one they have all their hopes in. And he is weeping over the city. Like, I don't even know what they were thinking. But I imagine it was very uncomfortable. And I feel like the best analogy, and it's not a great analogy, is like, have, have any of you guys been in the room and watched your parents cry? That's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's weird. That, that moment hits really different. I know what it's for me. And so I imagine this very uncomfortable situation where Jesus begins to weep. And then he talks. And then he explains what's going on in his mind. And he says this. And said, if you even, and he's talking to the city of Jerusalem. If you even, you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. They will dash to you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. And so he's explaining, and, and he's explaining what's going to happen to Jerusalem in a number of years, in about 40 years. In the year 70, uh, uh, the, the city capital, Jerusalem, was destroyed. It was all broken down. And so that's what he's speaking towards. This is going to happen. So he weeps over it. But then at the end of this section, he explains why. What's the reason why this has to happen, this terrible, terrible tragedy? And he says this, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And you have to understand when he says this, you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He's being very gentle and very gracious. This is a euphemism. Because what he means by this, what he means when he says you didn't recognize that God came to you, what he's talking about is the rejection of Jesus. He's talking about how the city and the people are going to reject him. But let's remember, how was that rejection administered? How was that rejection expressed to Jesus and to the people? It was by murdering an innocent man and nailing him to a cross. That's their rejection. That's them not recognizing the time of God's 
presence and God coming to you. And so he weeps over this because of what he knows they've done and what they're going to do to him, how painful it will be, how violent it will be. And as terrible as that sounds, what you have to understand about Jerusalem is they have a history of violence. In another moment, in, in, in a few chapters before, he actually grieves over Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13. And this is what he says about Jerusalem. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. So they have this. Like this is a part of their city. Like they've done this before. But the irony of this statement is lost on a lot of us because we don't really know the original language. But it's really simple. And some of you guys already know the answer to this question. The irony is in the meaning of the word Jerusalem and what it really translates to. If you guys don't know, the city, the, the word Jerusalem literally translates to, it literally translates to city of, who knows, peace. Jerusalem literally means city of peace. So let me put that into the text so you can see and sense the irony. Oh, city of peace, city of peace the city that kills prophets and stones God's messengers. The city is this place that was supposed to be a city of peace, yet it's a place where there's murder and bloodshed and destruction. It's supposed to be a city of peace. It's supposed to be a place where people could come and find peace and security, but instead it is a place of death and murder. And so Jesus looks upon this city and he just weeps over it because of what they've become, what they had been, knowing what they should have been, knowing what they're going to do to him, and knowing what's going to happen to them into the future. And so he weeps, and he weeps, and he weeps over the city. The city that's supposed to be this, but then it is completely the opposite. That's the sad thing. Let's move on to the scary thing. So after he weeps, he enters the, the temple... And then this happens. Let me read it from Matthew chapter 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Uh, for those of you guys who, like me, are watching the show Chosen, I cannot wait for this episode. Like, I cannot wait to see how they show this episode. But it's this weird, strange moment because Jesus' ministry, for the most part, has been very nonviolent. Very nonviolent. No violence. No aggression. But in this moment, Jesus seems to be filled with rage, and he does all these things. I was thinking about setting up some tables here and just flipping over things just for effect. You know, I think that would be cool. But didn't get a chance to set that up. But he's... he's uh, he has this moment, and I imagine disciples are like, what is going on? I've never seen him like this. And for, the, for some of you, I bet you've read the story, and you're like, this is strange that Jesus would be like this. Like, is he angry? Is, like, I know Jesus never sinned, but he also said, don't be angry, but he's clearly angry here. Like, what? what's going on? And so I want to, like, I want to kind of drill down into this story to help us understand what's going on but also how it's connected to the other two stories. And it's the last story, the fig tree, that is kind of like the kind of cap, the bow on the whole package. What we have to understand here, and what Jesus is doing in this moment, it is not just about the moment. 
It is not that he just got really mad all of a sudden and kind of flipped out. You have to understand that this moment is a prophetic moment. I'm, uh, I started reading this book, and it has like the most compelling title. It's super interesting. Uh, let me try if I can remember the title. The title is How to Read the Bible and Still Be a Christian. Well, okay, interesting. The subtitle is Struggling with Divine Violence from Genesis to Revelation. Oh, good, huh? Yeah, some of you want to read that, right? I'll read it and I'll tell you what it's about. But it's how to read the Bible and still be a Christian struggling with divine violence from Genesis to Revelation. And in this book, he deals with those moments where it seems like God is angry and violent and how to understand that. And he has this section on this moment. And like, I love this. And this was like really meaningful for me. It kind of blew my mind. And so here's what he says. The, the author um, says this. Jesus was, in fulfillment of God's threat in Jeremiah 7.14, symbolically, quote-unquote, destroying the temple by averting its fiscal and sacrificial bases. So he's saying that this moment is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. It's not he just, like, flipped out. This was meant to happen. This was a part of prophecy as shown in Jeremiah 7. And so I want to look at Jeremiah 7 a little bit so you can understand the context and what the prophecy is really about. Okay, so in Jeremiah 7.14 this is the prophetic moment. This is what it says. So just as I destroyed Shiloh, I will now destroy this temple that bears my name, this temple that you trust in for help, this place that I gave to you and your ancestors. So long ago, there was a prophecy that God would destroy the temple. And in this moment, this is a fulfillment because of a phrase Jesus used, and we're going to get to it, the den of thieves, the den of robbers. It's found in Jeremiah 7 as well. But what we really have to focus on is not the destruction, but why. Why should the temple be destroyed? Why is this prophecy here? Why is Jesus supposed to do this? So let's scoot back uh, a few verses early in Jeremiah chapter 7. Let me read you a number of verses here. And uh, just tr please try to stay with me. And pay attention to what's the reason behind this judgment, okay? Jeremiah 7 verse 4. Don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols, then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Pay attention. Keep, keep, pay attention to this deception, this kind of theme of deception. It's important for our topic today. It's a lie. Do you really think that you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incest to Baal and all the other new gods of yours? And then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back to all those evils again. We're almost done here. Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bear, bears my name, has become, here it is, a den of thieves. Surely I see all the evil going on there. The Lord has spoken. All right, so that's a lot. But essentially he says, I'm going to destroy his temple because you are excusing and you are turning a blind eye to the pain and injustice being happening all around you outside the walls of the temple. 
It's not because of, 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 of sacrificial things. It's not because of they're not washing correctly. It's not because they're not keeping the Sabbath by abstaining from work or doing all the things. It's not because they're watching the wrong things on Netflix or listening to the wrong music. It's because the way you are treating people and the way you are ignoring people's pain, I will destroy this temple. It has turned this temple into a farce. It's a lie. It's not safe because of what you've turned it into. So back to that author. He says, Jesus' action in that case was a prophetic demonstration, the cleansing, against the worship in the temple, excusing injustice in the land. Let me read that one more time. It's crazy, okay? This is when my mind started getting blown. Jesus' action in the case was a prophetic demonstration against worship in the temple, excusing injustice in the land. And then he goes on to say this. Okay, this is the good part. This is the good part. Because Jesus was not accusing people of thievery in that temple. That's what most of us believe, Right? When you read the story and he calls everyone a den of thieves, most of the times we understand that to be, okay, where there's these money changers there taking advantage of the poor, they're extorting money, they're kind of like, you know, kind of messing with the system so they can gain money, then the priest can like get all the money and all this. Like that's kind of what we imagine. And, and I imagine that's true. And that was happening. And they were extorting the people and taking advantage of the people. But within the prophetic, prophetic context of this moment, it's much bigger than these guys are being dishonest and taking care, taking advantage of people. It's much bigger than that. So he says, Jesus was not accusing people of thievery in that temple. Listen to what he says. A den is not the place for robbery and injustice inside, but the hideout from robbery and injustice outside. That's crazy. That's crazy. I read that. My mind, I'm like, oh, that's so true. The den of thieves is where they go to hide after they committed their robbery. And they go and then they try to stay safe within their own little space. They're turning a blind eye to the, the pain they cause to their victims. They run away from the scene of the crime, hide in their little den so they won't get caught. And so this author says is the, the biggest problem here is the nature of the temple as the seat of God's presence has become a place where people could come and ignore the pain of their brothers and sisters outside the walls. Right? That's crazy. They were coming and worshiping and singing songs and reading the scrolls and doing all the things and giving the offerings and sacrificing the animals. All the while, people are hurting and dying and facing injustice because of them, because of their leadership, also because of the Romans, and they're just turning a blind eye to it and they think, this is fine, it's okay because I'm here singing my songs listening to my sermons. The den of thieves is a place of safety for the thieves, not a place where the thievery happens. And so when I, when I read this, I was like, just so, so, it struck me so hard because it made me think about what the church is and what the community of God is supposed to be and, and all that kind of stuff. And you could probably imagine where my mind went. But this was his judgment against his people. Because you're turning a blind eye and neglecting and ignoring all the problems out there. And making yourself feel safe and comfortable in your little place. Completely apathetic, ignoring all the evils out in the world. And the people who are the victims of it. 
So there's a sense of deception. It was supposed to be a house of prayer where people could come get help. Remember, the, the tr you, you trust in this temple for help. It was supposed to be that place where the broken, the downtrodden, the marginalized could come to the temple to receive help from God and from the priests. It was a seat of God's presence where, from which justice was supposed to flow to the rest of the world. But instead, it's a place to hide out from the reality of pain outside the walls. And so Jesus fulfills this prophecy by flipping over the things. And then this interpretation, as, as new as it is, I think it makes a lot of sense because what happens right after he does this? As soon as he clears the temple, Matthew writes, as soon as that happened, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. They couldn't get there before. They weren't allowed in before because they didn't have the money. They didn't have the sacrifices. They couldn't get in. But as soon as he clears it and, quote, unquote, destroys the temple, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children who, again, were not allowed in, were coming into the temple and shouting, praise God for the son of David. So this is the, the scary thing. But again, it's connected to Jerusalem. We're going to learn a little bit about why. And then let's move on now to the super weird thing. This moment with Jesus and a tree, a fig tree, this strange, strange scene that Matthew describes right afterwards. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. Weird, huh? Jesus is hangry or something? Like, what's going on? This story, I think, is here for a reason. I think this story, like I said, is kind of like the summary. This story, it's a small moment. doesn't affect a lot of people. I, I guess it affected the tree, unfortunately. Wrong place, wrong time tree. Shouldn't have grown there then, you know what I mean? But I think this last story is kind of like the, 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 the point where he kind of summarizes it by what he does in this moment. And this moment, this story, is what helps us to understand the connection of all three stories. So Jesus goes to this fig tree. It has all these leaves, but there's no figs. So what? What's the big deal? What's the fig deal? No? Okay. All right. All right. It's a good sermon today. Good sermon today. What's the big deal, right? Like, just go to another tree, Jesus. Go to another tree that has figs. Like, eat something else. Like, why, why did you have to stop and make a whole thing out of this moment? Now, the way I, I, I think I understand this, and, and I don't know if this is a perfect kind of like parallel between us and Jesus, because it's a very human thing what I'm going to describe. But there are times, and you've probably experienced this, where something happening in one area of your life, especially negative, frustration, stress, struggling in one area of your life, can, can affect you to the point where it'll get expressed in a completely unrelated area of life. For example, 
You might be stressed at work because of your boss or because of patients or because of clients or because of customers, because of coworkers, and you're stressed and you're having a hard time. And so you come home and you have this really rough day. And then what do you do? You take it out on your kids. You take it out on your family. They had nothing to do with it, but you're just like, you're just bothered. And so it comes out. You know, like we have those moments. Or something happens at home and you take it out on your friends or something like that, right? Hopefully we can identify with that kind of reality that happens as human beings. And so I had this moment one time where I was struggling and then I took it out on my poor, on my poor, poor dental hygienist, okay? I, I was at the dentist. I've shared this story before and maybe you don't remember it and that, that's good, but I shared this story before. There was a time in a previous church where I was having such a rough time at church, right? I was like I was trying to, to do new ministries, do new programs. People were complaining to me and I would hear these things. They'd be like, okay, 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 I got it. So let's start this thing. Like we want this kind of stuff. And I'm like, all right, perfect, let's do it. So we set up this thing and then no one shows up. You know, like one of those kinds of things. So I'm like working really hard in the church, trying to create all these ministries, trying to program, trying to help people, all these kind of things. Nothing works. Nothing works. Nothing changes. No encouragement, no appreciation, just like blah. And so I was just like, man, I'm trying everything that I can and nothing is happening. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Now, during that time, I was brushing and flossing every day, which is an important detail for the story. I know it sounds super random. Important detail for the story. During that time, as frustrated as I was, I brushed and flossed every day, okay? I go to my dentist appointment. I go to the hygienist. I'm sitting in the chair. And she examines me and does her dental hygiene things. And she says, hey... Last time you were here, I told you to brush and floss every day. And then something broke inside of me in that moment. Something just like shattered in me. And, and I, I began pouring out my soul to this dental hygienist who's like, I don't even really know you. Like, I've only seen you like two times. And I, was, I, was, I, and I didn't cry. I didn't cry. But I did get teary. And I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, I've been trying every day. I've been trying so hard. I tried everything I could, but nothing works. Nothing changes. It's so hard. I, I, I don't know what to do for my teeth, you know? And I just like, I just like broke, man. And it was like so odd. I wasn't preparing to the, it's just like this, this struggle in one area that was on my mind for so long. It just kind of came out in a different area. And I don't know if this is what was happening with Jesus. Like, I don't know if he was like struggling, but we know what was on his mind over the last 24 hours. Especially as you, if you knew when you were going to die, as you got closer and closer to that moment, like you could imagine the amount of stress that you would be under. So I don't know if he was like frustrated and struggling, but I believe that this was a moment where we know that on his mind was the triumphal entry that just happened. The city of Jerusalem where he wept, the cleansing of the temple which happened the, right, the night before, and also the cross that is like right in front of him. And so we know what's on his mind. And I, I think that this was a moment where, where he was going to make a point because of all the things that he was thinking about, because of all the things that he was frustrated about, because of all the things he was struggling about. And I think what it came down to is when Jesus wanted to wrap a bow around this teaching, his disciples had seen everything, frustrations, struggle, the joys and the highs and the lows of the triumphal entry, going down to the weeping, going down to the anger and the rage at the temple. And he says, guys, 
Look. Look at this tree. And I think this is the phrase that I want you to remember as he looks at this tree. This is what his determination of this tree is. All leaves, no fruit. All leaves, no fruit. You see, what I think Jesus is saying in this story as kind of the cap of these three stories is I look at my people and they're supposed to be this way and they look this way and they act this way, but this is what they really are and I see it. All right, so imagine, think about the triumphal entry. He goes into the city and everyone is cheering for him, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. He has the biggest crowd ever. They're praising his name. He knows that in just a few days, that crowd that's shouting his name and praising his name is going to turn into a mob that screams, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He knows that and we know that. He goes, into, he goes to the city and he sees the city of peace then in just a few days is going to murder him and put him on a cross. The city of peace that has a history of violence, killing everyone who comes to try to change the city. They're supposed to be this way, but they're this. He goes into the temple that for all intents and purposes still looks like the temple. Right? It has not been renovated. It's still the temple. It has the walls. It has the rooms. And it looks like the house of God. But it's not the house of God. It's not a house of prayer. What is it? It is a den of thieves. Everything looked this way, but it's actually this. Looks so good on the outside, but I know what's on the inside. All leaves. No fruit. That is what connects all three of these stories. Jesus, I think, at the beginning of this week is trying to show through his actions and his passions and his feelings and everything that he understands this challenge of humanity to be all leaf, all leaves, no fruit. And now you know where I'm going to take this message, don't you? You know the question that I want to ask you now. Thing is, you know that so well, I'm not even going to ask the question. And if you don't know the question that I'm talking about, go talk to someone after service and say, hey, what was the question you was talking about? Because you know. Jesus has this message to people who are all leaves, no fruit. But as we close this message, I want you to understand what is his desire in this moment. What does he want from people who are leafful and fruitless. What does he want for people like that? What does he want from people who look like they're doing everything well, look like great Christians and followers of Jesus, but are broken and empty on the inside? What does he want from church communities that are doing well and growing and having great ministries, but don't always think about the people outside the walls? What does he want from them? In that time where he grieved over Jerusalem in Luke 13, I didn't share with you what he says afterwards. So he says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. Listen to what he wants. Listen to his heart after he says this. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. This is the heart of the Heavenly Father. 
Like when we would think this moment would be full of rebuke and anger. He says, I just want to gather you in and put you in my arms. And I want to make you feel safe. And the things that you're afraid of that keep you from being fruitful in your life spiritually. The things that in your life that keep you from being a, a, a person who are, are exhibiting the fruits of the spirits. The commitments, the decisions that you know you want to make. But you're scared because of you don't know how it's going to affect your life. Or how it's going to affect your family. Or how it's going to affect your relationships. Those things that you're afraid of. I just want to gather you in. Like like a mother hen gathers its chicks and I want you to feel safe knowing that you don't have to be afraid of those things. You don't have to allow fear to make you fruitless. That's what I want. Like that's the heart of the Father and that's the heart of your loving Savior. And that's the heart of the champion that we sang about earlier today. Yeah, he's a conquering hero. Absolutely. He's a king, like we talked about last week, who proclaims victory before the battle's even won. He is all that. He is all powerful. But there's another part of him that I want you to understand, his heart behind it all. He's like, I just, I see my people, and I see how they're hurting themselves, and I see what's going to happen to them, and I just want to bring them in. I just want to embrace them and bring them close and tell them that they don't have to be afraid. And they don't have to be worried. I'm their champion. And I will take care of it all. That's all I want. Dang. Jesus is awesome. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for living so intentionally in those last days, Lord, of your life. There's so much, God, that we can, there's so much that you want to say through those words. There's so much that you want to convey through your actions in those moments. Father, I pray for all the leafy, fruitless people in this room, the ones standing on the stage, the ones serving in the different areas, the ones sitting in the pews, the ones watching online, all of us, Lord, who feel like we are fruitless and just full of leaves. God, I pray that we may lean into our champion today and give you our fears and doubts and worries and entrust our lives and our days to you. Thank you, God, for being that. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for your gesture. Thank you for your love and your mercy. In your name we pray, amen.